you know? And brothers here isn't limited to just men. It's understood in their culture this would include both men and women. This is all those who are believers in Jesus as the Christ. And Paul also lets us know why he's writing this section. I do not want you to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. His desire is his concern. He doesn't want them to be uninformed because they are uninformed. And this lack of information has been causing division and disorder and chaos in the Corinthian body. And that's not good. So he's going to correct these problems that he's seeing in the congregation, that he's hearing about in the congregation, by informing them of this theology. Like I said, it's a theology that is practical in its very nature. So let's look at the first thing Paul wants to teach us about spiritual gifts. Let's read verses 2 and 3 together. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one, speaking the Spirit of God, ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So you can write this down. The very first thing Paul wants us to understand about spiritual gifts is that our salvation is a gift from the Holy Spirit. He begins by stating, frankly, that his audience used to be pagans. That is, there were those who did not worship the one true God, Yahweh, or Jesus as the Christ. Instead, there were pagans who were led astray by mute idols. That is, they worshipped fake gods, gods who were supposed gods, gods who were, were not real and didn't say a single word to mankind. And by the way, these statues that they worshipped, they didn't actually think that the statues themselves were gods. They thought that they were physical representations of the gods who were out there. Right? So if that's ever confused you, now you know. They weren't dumb enough to think that pieces of wood or stone or gold were gods. Just like you and I aren't dumb enough to think that relationships like spouses or parents or activities like sports and sex or objects like movies and money or institutions like the government and school are actually gods. Yet we still worship them as God should be worshipped. We look for them to provide what God should provide. They weren't dumb. They were just foolish, just like you and I are foolish, to be led astray by idols. And there were multiple idols they were led astray by. Hence the text says, however you were led. The same is true of us. Our idolatry takes many different forms. So in light of this pagan past... Paul then wants them to understand, and us to understand, that our Christian present is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So he puts all people in the world in just two categories. And it's really based upon what they say about Jesus. Either Jesus is accursed, or Jesus is Lord. Let me explain Jesus is accursed. To this person, Jesus was just a man. He may have been a good man. He may have been a good teacher. He may have even done some miraculous things, but he was just a man. And he claimed to be God. And because he claimed to be God, he got himself killed. And he's been dead ever since then. He is accursed. But that's not what the believer says. The believer says, no. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Jesus is the one who came and lived the life that was impossible for me to live. Jesus is the one who died the death that I deserve to die for my horrific deeds. Jesus is the one who resurrected and gave me victory over sin and death. And Jesus is the one who ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to me as a gift. Jesus is Lord. And Paul says, if you proclaim to the world that Jesus is Lord, you have received a gift from the Holy Spirit. Because the ability to believe Jesus is Lord only comes by the Holy Spirit. So if that's you today, thank God. 
because you have received a gift that very few people have received. You have received a gift that rescues you from pagan idolatry. And if that isn't you, I pray that the Holy Spirit would gift you with salvation today. Because Jesus is not accursed. You are. Jesus is not dead. You are. Jesus is not under the wrath of God. You are. So repent and believe that Jesus is Lord. And join the, those of us who've received this gift. So Paul now is going to transition into a new direction. It's still the same topic of spiritual gifts, but it's a new direction within that topic. So logically, the word now will signal this minor transition to us. Read with me verses 4 through 6. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So you can write this down. The second thing Paul wants us to understand about spiritual gifts is that there is unity in the midst of diversity. There is unity in the midst of diversity. He uses the word varieties three times and uses the word same three times. There is a perfect balance there, and that is intentional. It's because he wants it to be a perfect balance in our minds. There are varieties of spiritual gifts, yes, but there is a same source of the triune God. So let's look at the varieties of spiritual gifts here. He says, gifts, service, and activities. That's all referring to the same spiritual gifts. It's just a different angle of looking at them. So gifts refers to that these gifts come from an outside source. It's a source outside of ourselves. They are also meant to serve others, hence service. And they are actions, hence activities. And they have the same source of the triune God. Notice that the text says the same spirit. That's God, the Holy Spirit. Notice the text says the same Lord. That's God the Son or Jesus Christ. Notice the text says the same God. That's God the Father. So the triune God here is represented as the source of the spiritual gifts. The text says he empowers them all and everyone. So every gift that we're going to see in the list following in the text, every gift that you see in the body of Fishable before you, those come from God. They are empowered from God. They do not originate with you. They are not your own doing. And as Paul will elaborate later, this should cause unity and humility, not pride and not disorder. But before we get there, Paul wants to teach us something else about spiritual gifts. You can write this down. The third thing Paul wants us to understand about spiritual gifts is that every believer is given a gift by the Spirit for the common good of the church. Every believer is given a gift by the Spirit for the common good of the church. Read with me verses 7 through 10. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. So Paul's first statement here is that every believer is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So understand this. Every single believer in Jesus, in this room, has at least one spiritual gift. And that is not including the conversion that I just spoke about earlier. Everyone likely has more than one gift. The text says to each one. Each one represents a different believer. And understand this, that spiritual gift that you have is a manifestation of the Spirit. 
Have you ever thought of it that way? The Spirit himself resides within you and is working these abilities through you. The Spirit is present and doing a work inside of you. That's a little bit incredible, isn't it? Every time you see someone using their spiritual gifts in the church, you're seeing God at work right in front of you. Isn't that incredible? You're seeing it right now. The gift of teaching by the Spirit through me to you. God is at work right in our very midst. That's incredible. I love thinking about that. And understand this. That spiritual gift you have is meant for the common good. It's not meant for puffing yourself up with pride. It's not meant for serving yourself. It's meant to be used to serve others within the body. It's meant to be served others in a good manner for a good result. So really, Paul's repeating some of the same ideas here, right? There's a reason for that. Our, our heads are very hard, right? Our, our skulls need to be cracked open so that new ideas can be forced in. And that's done by repetition. Everything that you see repeated in the text is always important to the author. So Paul's just made a claim. Now he's going to want to ground that claim. See the word for in the text there? For is usually used to ground claims in New Testament letters. So he'll make a claim, and then he wants to bolster it by giving data, 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 data. Right? Another way of saying it is that you can send a message by using artillery, right? But if you, if you send in planes, tanks, and troops after the fact, that message is sure to be received, right? Paul's doing the same thing here. So Paul is going to ground several ideas for us. First, each believer receives a gift. Notice the text says to one, and then he says to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, etc. Okay? This represents different believers. And second, there will be different gifts and different believers. So we get this long list of different gifts, right? The utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Okay? So I'm going to explain these as we go along. We already covered some of this in Sunday school, but we'll go through it here as well. The utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge are very similar to each other. It's, it's the ability to speak a message by the Holy Spirit to a believer. It's either going to be practical in orientation to tell them how to live their life. It's going to be mental or cognitive, something you should know, something you should understand. Faith. All believers have faith, right? We are saved by grace through faith. Without faith, no one is saved. It is a true, holistic trust in God. This is required for salvation. But apparently, some believers have more faith than others. And we've seen that in our midst, haven't we? Who here hasn't been ministered to by the faith of the Coleman family? Right? Every single one of us have, because they have been gifted with faith. It ministers to the rest of us in the body. Healing. This is the ability to heal others by the Holy Spirit of various medical problems. Miracles. This is the ability to do things by the Holy Spirit that go against the norm of nature and cannot explain by nature. It's simply that. It's a miracle. You can't explain what happened. It just happened. Prophecy. This is the ability by the Holy Spirit to speak a message about God. Who He is, what He does, what He will do, what He desires. But the prophet receives this message by communication with spirits. And if that seems a little bit weird to you, I just want to remind you that most of your Old Testament came to you by prophecy. So if prophecy is weird, most of our Bible is weird. You ever thought of that? Distinguishing between spirits. This actually corresponds to prophecy. This is the ability by the Holy Spirit to listen to a prophetic message and recognize if it comes from a, an angelic spirit or a demonic spirit. To recognize if it's a true or a false prophecy. So the prophet would deliver the message, and then this person would, would recognize, is this an angelic prophecy or a demonic prophecy? Tongues. This is the ability by the Holy Spirit to speak a message about God, just like prophecy, 
tells who God is, what God does, what God will do, what God desires. But it's in a language that's foreign to the speaker. The interpretation of the tongues. This obviously corresponds to tongues, right? This is the ability by the Holy Spirit to listen to a person speaking in tongues and translate that into the language of the audience. And after that, of course, a person would need to distinguish if it was a true or a false message. So I'll, I'll cover the next time I preach whether I think some of those gifts continue or not. Just for now, I want you to understand what they are, okay? I want to say this as well. This list is not exhaustive. There are other um, gift lists from the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. You'll see it later in this chapter. You'll see it in Romans. You'll see it in Ephesians. You'll see it in 1 Peter. But you can also see how these will be a benefit to the body, right? I don't know about you, but I need knowledge and wisdom. I need faith. And I could definitely use some healing. I have a bad back and I have terrible ears. Some of the senior men have better hearing than I do. <laughs> the third thing Paul wants to ground is that these gifts are received by the Spirit. He says, through the Spirit, according to the same Spirit, by the same Spirit, by the one Spirit. It's repeated. Do you think it's important? Yes. So after grounding these claims, Paul's going to repeat himself again with a former claim, but he's also going to add a significant clarification. Read with me verse 11. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, proportions to each one individually as he wills. So he repeats himself by saying that these gifts that he just mentioned are empowered by the one and the same Spirit. We saw this in verse 6, verse 8, and verse 9. So again... All these abilities that we see come from the Holy Spirit. And again, even though there is a diversity in gifting, there's a bunch of different gifts, there is a unity in source and a unity in origin. It's repeated. Do you think it's important? Yes. Your gifts are not your own. They were given by the Spirit, and they are empowered by the Spirit. Now, what comes next is huge. You have to watch this, okay? It's attached onto this repetition. Write this down. The fourth thing Paul wants us to understand about spiritual gifts is that the Spirit apportions gifts in accordance with his own will. The Spirit apportions gifts in accordance with his own will. The text says specifically he apportions to each one individually as he wills. That's huge. Okay, the Spirit knows all the gifts that are available to the church. The Spirit knows everyone who is actually a believer inside the church. The Spirit portions out varieties of gifts to all of those members of the church. The Spirit has a purpose for each believer in each gift that is received. That means the gifts that you have were chosen for you by God himself. That means you can't just choose your own gifts. That means you only get a gift if the Holy Spirit wills for you to have that gift. This destroys a lot of nonsense theology out there that says all believers must speak in tongues to be saved. That is a load of bull, okay? It's crap, okay? It says that all believers must become a teacher or a prophet. That is bad theology. It says that all believers can heal others. That is bad theology. That says you don't need the whole church. Bad theology. That says all you need is a Bible in yourself. Bad. This, this text reverses all of that. It says it's false, it's bad, it's worthless, it's damaging, it's dishonoring to God. So don't you believe any of it for a second. It's a lie straight from hell. Here's the truth. You have the spiritual gifts you have. The people next to you have the spiritual gifts they have. No one has every spiritual gift. Everyone needs all the spiritual gifts that are represented in the church. Therefore, we all need each other. Everyone who is represented at Fisherville. 
Paul is going to take this logic, this argument, he's going to prove it to us through the use of an extended simile and metaphor. And really, it's, it's both the same. The simile and metaphor are both the same. It just starts off as a simile, and then it works its way into a metaphor. He says, just as the body is one and has many members, so it is with Christ. And the letter says, you are the body with many members. Right? So let's look at the simile first. Okay, the simile of one body with many members likened to Christ. Read with me verse 12. For, just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, I'll be moving through this unit a lot faster. That's pretty simple to understand, right? You and I have bodies, and it consists of many body parts. A head, a neck, eyes, a mouth, a, a chest, a stomach, legs, fingers, hands, arms. There are many parts to the body, but it's still one united whole, right? That's pretty simple to understand. Paul says it's the same with the body of Christ. What he's referring to is a theology that he's taught earlier in this chapter and in other books in the New Testament as well. Christ is the head of the church. The church is the body of Christ. The body of Christ consists of many believers in Jesus, yet they're still one united whole. That's the theology he's referring to. So Paul is now going to ground this, this simile that he's made into other theology. All right? How is it possible to have many members and yet one body? Through the work of the Spirit. So read with me the next few verses. Verses 13. For in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one Spirit. So what is the work of the Spirit here? First, we are baptized into the one body of Christ, that is, the church, in the one Spirit. And there's a little bit of confusion here as to what baptism this is. Is it an unseen baptism by the Spirit? Or is it a visible water baptism that we see in the church? I don't think it really matters either way. I personally argue for the former. But either way, this is a baptism in the Holy Spirit that unites us into one body. And notice that this is a body without divisions. It says it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, hence Jews or Greeks. It also doesn't matter what economic status you're in. It says slaves or free. So all believers receive this same baptism. It unites us all together into one body of Christ. Second, we all drink of one spirit. So drinking has the imagery of sustenance, right? Receiving sustenance. You and I cannot survive without drinking water. The spirit here is the one who gives us sustenance. And all believers share this same spirit. So the spirit made us have the same baptism. He gives us the same sustenance in himself. So write this down. The fifth thing Paul wants us to understand about spiritual gifts is that the one united body of the church is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul's going to take this simile, he's going to extend it, and he's going to shift it into a metaphor. The first thing we're going to see is a repetition of a former claim. Read with me verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Again, understood, right? Multiple body parts, one body. Paul's going to bolster that with two humorous illustrations next. Read with me verses 15 to 16. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So could you imagine if different parts of your body had this Eeyore disorder? You know, I'm just an eye, I don't belong here. I'm just a tooth, I don't belong here. You know, it would just be stupid, right? It would be stupid. That's why he's getting it here. Can you imagine not having a nose? I guess we, we have the Jackson family to picture that now, don't we? 
Could you imagine not having teeth or a tongue? It would be awful, you know, because you'd be missing a body part, a body part that is crucial to your living. That's what he's getting at here. All members of the body belong to the body. They are needed. Paul's just going to teach us something else as well. Not every part of the body can do every function that needs to be done for the body. Read with me verses 17 and 18. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So what benefit would it be to see a piano played with your eyes, but not be able to hear it with your ears? Would there be any benefit? No. What benefit would there be to hear something, but not smell it? Well, I, I can actually think of one case where I would not want to smell something after hearing it. But that's, that's neither here nor there. So, Paul wants us to learn here that not every single member in the body can do every single function. That's why we need all of them together. So, Paul's going to teach us something else as well. He says that God designed our bodies to be this way. Read verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So God designed the human body. He gave it many members. He gave each member a different function. Okay, and you can't have a body of only one member. You need a body with many members. Read with me verses 19 and 20. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So if you have a body of only one member, you get the hand from the Adams family. He just walks around that's creepy right we need all the members of our body Paul also teaches something else about the body no body part can ever say to another part I don't need you verse 21 the eye cannot say to the hand I have no need of you nor again to the head to the feet I have no need of you so again this imagery here is hilarious right you have an eye saying to the hand get out of here I don't need you you know it's, it's silly it's stupid. Or you have a, a head looking at feet going, I don't need you, feet. Get out of here. If there were to be a fight, a man would be poking himself in the eye or trying to eat his foot off. You know? That's just stupid, right? It's silly. That's what Paul is getting at here. We need all the parts of the body. All of them belong to each other. Paul's also going to teach us something else here. Every body part needs the whole body, even the weaker, less honorable, and unpresentable body parts. Read with, me, read with me verses 23 through 24. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, which our more presentable parts do not require. Oh, I'm sorry, but skip the part. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Could you not imagine having, having no hands, no fingers, no toes, right? Our fingers and our toes are weaker than our biceps and our calves, but they are indispensable. Something else that's interesting here is that one of the greatest arguments for modesty is in this text. And it's intended to speak towards church unity. Isn't it interesting? He says, clearly, there are unpresentable parts that need to be treated with greater modesty. So have you ever thought about that? The parts of the body that we most desire to see in others, God has designed to be covered up in modesty. The parts of the body that others most desire to see in us, God has designed to be covered up with modesty. There's great beauty in that, isn't there? So don't ever believe that you have to expose yourself to the world to be beautiful. That's one of the greatest lies of our culture. Paul tells us here, God designed the body to be modest, and that this modesty is even more beautiful than exposure. 
So God has designed our body to be this way, and he's done that for the sake of unity. Read with me um, verses 23 through 26. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So our bodies, again, need every single member. This is for the sake of unity. They're all interdependent upon one another. If one member hurts, the whole body feels it. If one member is honored, the whole body feels it. And you can relate to this, can't you? I mean, if you have an earache, what happens? The whole body just wants to cringe, right? Just in pain. If you have a leg cramp, you don't have to sit down. You, you jump up. <laughs> you know, you try to rub it out so it doesn't, doesn't hurt anymore. You know? If you have a pain, the whole body feels it. In the same way, if you have a back pain, the only thing you want to do is just, just lay back, right? You just want to rest because it's hurting. In the same way, if you run an arm wrestling contest, your whole body wants to jump up and celebrate the victory, right? You're just going to just go, yeah! Speak with the chest! Yeah! You know, you're, you celebrate that you want it, you know? There's, there's excitement there. In the same way, if you play an instrument, your whole body wants to move to the music, right? Right? I've seen that with Brian Cox to the side over here. He dances a little bit. In the same way, if your spouse gives you a kiss, you know what it does to the rest of the body, right? It just, it, there's, there's a whole lot of excitement and shared suffering in the body. That's what Paul is getting at here. Our body is a united whole. Every member is needed. Every member has a function. Every member needs to be cared for by the whole body. So this is a great theology of the body, right? Paul's now going to take it. He's going to apply it directly to the church. Read with me verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of of it. So do me a favor. Look at the person to your left and the person to your right. right. Look at the person in front of you and the person behind you. Now look at that person that you don't like. Don't really do that. I'm joking. Okay? Every believer that you saw is a member of Christ's body. Okay? You have gifts that person doesn't have. That person has gifts that you don't have. You need him or her and he or she needs you, including that person you don't like. You are called to serve him or her, and he or she is called to serve you, including that person you don't like. Therefore, there should be unity in the church body. And this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. But here's my fear. My fear is that many of you may not be using your gifts in the church. I fear this because I see relatively few people doing almost everything that happens in the church. So that makes me fear that some of you are actually serving the needs of the body. If that's the case, let me tell you what it is. It's selfishness. It's selfishness. Because that means you have gifts that you're using to serve yourself and not others. Even if you don't know what your gifts are, it's still selfishness. Because you haven't taken the time to discern how you are supposed to serve the needs of the body. The bottom line is that it's sin. And it needs to be repented of. And I urge you to do so today. Discern what your gifts are. There are many surveys for helping with this. If you, if you don't know how to access one, just ask a minister here. He'll be glad to give you one. Okay, they're very good at helping you understand what your spiritual gifts are. After you discern your gifts, look for ways to serve the church body. Again, if you can't think of any way, just ask a minister here, and he'll probably have a list of things that you could do here. In fact, I almost bet he's been praying for people like you to show up and serve some of the needs of the body. Then... 
serve the church and continue serving the church. Okay, trust me, we have not begun to tap into the potential that we have here for service. There's much more that we could do to serve the needs of the body. There's much more we could do to increase discipleship in the church. There's much more we could do to evangelize communities around us. There's much more we can do to meet the needs of the people around us. There's much more we can do. But we need the whole body to come together to do this, right? We can't have just the brains and the mouths doing everything. We need the hands. We need the feet. We need everything else. Everything. Paul still has more to teach us about spiritual gifts by applying this metaphor of the body to the church. You can write this down. The sixth thing Paul wants us to understand about spiritual gifts is that just as there is a higher order in the body, there is also a higher order within the gifts. Read with me verse 28, okay? And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So you might ask at this point, especially after Paul just focused on unity, why would he teach this? And he would probably say that unity of design does not imply equality and function. Unity in design does not imply equality and function. A head injury is much more significant than a foot injury, right? Paralysis is much more significant than a toothache, right? This is what Paul's getting at here. He doesn't want the higher functions to be neglected to the lower functions. Notice what is at the top of this list here. Gifts relating to authority and revelation. encouraging to see the body come together for that need right there. Encouraging. Okay. Thank you all for your patience. Let's, let's pray together, okay? Let's pray for this. God, we're thankful for this day. Um, we're thankful that we know that you are in control of all things, that you are the God who works out all things in accordance with your will. So God, we pray for this, this member of our body, 
who is suffering with something that we don't quite understand right now. We pray, Lord, you would be with them. You would give them safe travels. You would heal them. You would bring much glory to yourself. God, comfort them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for your patience there. So, back to, the, to, to this list. We're at verse 28, okay? Notice what is at the top of this list. You're going to see gifts relating to authority and revelation, right? He says, apostles, prophets, teachers. Notice what is at the bottom of this list. Gifts relating to service and the miraculous. And look at the very last gift on that list. Tongues. So we know from the context of Corinthians that tongues were way overemphasized in their congregation, which is why he put it at the bottom of the list. They had overemphasized it, and there were higher gifts that needed to be emphasized before him. The church needs to be served with authority and revelation before it needs to be served with miracles and material service. Now, the way to put it, we need pastors and teachers before we need healers and deacons. Both are needed, absolutely yes, but in their proper order. I was raised in Cleveland, Tennessee. If you don't know about Cleveland, Tennessee, it is the headquarters for the Church of God denomination. Okay? If you don't know anything about the Church of God denomination, they highly emphasize the spiritual gifts. Now, it's impossible to live in Cleveland and not have Church of God friends even whenever you are a Baptist. So I had a lot of Church of God friends. But to be honest, I felt that they had different emphases whenever it came to spiritual gifts. I thought they had the wrong emphases whenever it came to spiritual gifts. They highly emphasized healing, and they highly emphasized tongues. What was neglected was authority and teaching and service. And I always had a problem with that, because I, I don't feel like the, the, the main goal of the church is to have an emotional, ecstatic high. I think the goal of the church is to make disciples. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here. Okay? He doesn't want lesser functions okay, to rule over the higher functions in the church. Does that make sense? Yeah? Paul still has something else to teach us here. You can write this down. The seventh thing Paul wants us to understand about spiritual gifts is that it is impossible for the whole body to share the same gift. It is impossible for the whole body to share the same gift. Okay, and he'll do this by asking seven questions that all have the implied answer of no. Okay, read with me verses 29 and 30. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The implied answer to every single one of these questions is no. No. Not everyone is an apostle. Not everyone is a prophet. Not everyone is a teacher. And so on and so forth. And we've seen this here. Not everyone can do what Brian Payne can do, right? Not everyone can do what Robert Coleman can do, right? Not everyone can do what Seth Singleton can do, right? Not everyone can do what Heather Payne can do. So we've seen this in the midst of our body. Certain people have certain gifts, and other people have other gifts. And it's designed to be that way so that we can all rely on each other. And Paul has one last thing to teach us about spiritual gifts. You can write this down. The last thing Paul wants us to understand about spiritual gifts is that it's okay to desire the higher gifts, but there's still something greater than all the gifts, and that is love. Read with me verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. So even though there is a higher order of gifts, even though not everyone can or will have the same gifts, even though we all need each other, it's still okay and good to desire the higher gifts. It's okay to desire to be a pastor, to desire to be a teacher, and so on and so forth. But there is something greater than all these gifts that we've seen. 
The more excellent way that Paul will show us is found in 1 Corinthians 13. What is 1 Corinthians 13 all about? Love. Love. Love is greater than all the spiritual gifts. In fact, without love, the spiritual gifts mean practically nothing. Without love, the person performing the action of the gift is not benefited. Without love, the person who receives the action of the gift is not benefited. Love existed before the spiritual gifts, within the interactions of the Trinity, though exists long after the gifts in the new creation. So pursue the spiritual gifts, yes, but pursue love before, during, and after the gifts, because it is superior to all the spiritual gifts. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. It is a blessing to know just how he blesses us. Thank you for blessing our body with gifts. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of manifestations of the Spirit. Thank you for the gift of unity in the body by the Spirit. But help us to understand the spiritual gifts. Help us to discern exactly what spiritual gifts you have given us. Help us to use those spiritual gifts to serve the church body. Help us to desire the higher spiritual gifts. Help us to pursue the even greater way of love. For your glory and for our good. Amen.